Hello, everyone, and welcome to FF Plus, your spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, and discussion. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me tonight, as usual, is my man, Coles. What's up, everybody? This is our second episode of the week, so we are going to spare you the extra asks, and we are going to get right on into the movies. First up on our list for this episode is the newest entry in the DC animated original film universe part two. (laughs) So (laughs) if you're familiar with the DC animated universe, they went through one big long run of movies, uh, dozens of them. And then this is now kind of a, a, now I don't want to say a reboot because it's different storytelling, but basically they've, they've ended one and now they're starting a new run of films. And this is the second film in the chronology of this universe it follows superman man of tomorrow uh, specifically after that film and it's kind of in the same a little bit in the same visual look of that movie as well and it's just a, a different tone of a universe so this one is called justice society world war ii it stars the voice talents of stana Kadic, matt bomer alicia rotaru chris diamantopoulos Omid Abtahi, Matthew Mercer, Armin Taylor, and Liam McIntyre. It is directed by Jeff Wamister. It is written by Megan Fitzmartin and Jeremy Adams. What's it about? Barry Allen's relaxing trip to Metropolis is about to go sideways. While speeding off to help in an impromptu battle, the Flash blazes and rips through time, only to find himself dropped into the middle of World War II. It's here that the Flash meets Wonder Woman and her top-secret team known as the Justice Society of America. Witness the raging tides of war, gripping combat, and the velocity of valor as the Flash fights to get back to his own timeline. All right, Coles, you and I are both big fans of DC animation as a whole. They almost always hit on some level. They're either solid all the way up to flat-out amazing. So I'm assuming that this one has quite a lot that you liked about it. I'm hoping that's the case. It was for me. So why don't you get started? What did you enjoy? Well, for one, I want to single out Wonder Woman. Um, the character of Woman, Wonder Woman is amazing in this film. Um, Stana Kadic as the voice actress, she does a tremendous job. Like there were almost times where I almost thought she sounded like Gail Gadot <laughs> in certain moments. And I, you know, I had to kind of do like a little whiplash to like kind of see who was voice acting it. But I think she does a great job of sounding almost that she comes like she is an Amazonian and she has the gusto and kind of the dramatic pull that you can kind of like feel comfortable with her character. And I like the action sequences. There's an early action scene where we're in this like dilapidated town and, you know, we see that Justice Society is fighting against the Nazis, who is everybody's favorite villain to see their heads get cracked in a film or an animation series and just the way that Wonder Woman was taking these Nazis to town. I mean, it felt almost like the animators had watched Patty Jenkins's Wonder Woman one and they took the no man land sequence and they put it right in this film because I saw a couple of different moves and a different like finishing moves that almost was like, okay, did they see the film and kind of put this in there? And I didn't mind it. It was, it was great. Um, I love seeing heroes that we often don't get that we often don't get to see in animated films like Black Canary. We got to see Our Man, Hawkman, and we get to see two Flashes. We get to see a present Flash, and we get to see a historic Flash. And 
I like that they showed these two flashes, the nice detail of that them being in the same timeline, their powers are not the same. They don't really generate as much pop. And it reminded me of a superhero film that I had recently saw last week um, called Hancock with Will Smith and Charlize Theron. And, well, the movie's not good, so I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. But in that film, there are two heroes that are in the same area, and them being near each other causes them to lose some of their effect of their powers and they become more weak. And eventually the film ends with them getting farther away and they're able to return back to their full form. And I like that detail in this film that even though Flash is in this alternate timeline, you know, he can't do this, you know, or he might affect, you know, the way that the future holds out. And there's a nice little Avengers in-game reference in this film where Wonder Woman is telling Flash, like, I don't know if I want to really work you know, with you and the team, because if you do something, it could affect your future. And then Flash continues to bring up like, hey, I saw a movie that dealt with something like that. And it was a nice little Avengers Endgame reference. You know, I love the villains. I love Advisor. I even love Brainiac, the guy that we see at the beginning of the film that Superman and Flash are fighting. I'm not familiar. I'm not familiar with who he is. I'm not really well versed into the comic book lore, but I like that scene. I like Aquaman having a being mind controlled by the Nazis and that really adds a little bit more like urgency to the plot and the ending fight is also another great sequence I love seeing Steve Trevor get a nice emotional arc this film Steve Trevor is almost like my MVP of the film like he doesn't have any of the powers of the metahumans and you know, he's just a guy that often is just portrayed as being Wonder Woman's love interest. But in this film, he has a lot of heroic moments. And I think that he is the star of the film, especially when it comes to the ending, which I'm not going to spoil. But there's a moment where we really see that this guy is very important, not only to just Wonder Woman, but to the Justice Society being able to have a chance at winning this fight against the Nazis. So for me... This film has a lot of things that I love about it. I mean, DC Animated has never really failed to do me any wrong. There is hardly any film I could see in the DC Animated series that I would consider a fluke or anything. So this was just another um, notch into the DC Animated belt as being a very good film. Yeah, so I liked it a lot. I actually really, really liked it. And it is bordering on my favorite animated film of the year. Mm. Yeah, you touched on a couple of the reasons, and it grew on me over time. And I know it's been hasn't been maybe 24 hours since I've seen it, but I've thought about it a lot since then. The Steve Trevor relationship with Wonder Woman being one of those things. There are two or three relationships going on in the course of this film between characters, and the way that those play out is really just it's terrific they're able to deal with some issues that you don't always see in specifically in animated superhero films that are like this where the characters are questioning their mortality and they're dealing with regrets there are extremely high stakes of life and death not only for human characters or not just humans but for the superheroes themselves um, in this film and so all of that stuff plays out in just the right amount of emotional pulled back kind of relationship moments. They're not, you know, peppered at you all the time because this is a superhero film. And so, yes, we're going to be propelled from action scene to action scene, but there are a couple of great scenes where they do 
slow things down and give you a moment to really recognize that there are true friendships and true romantic feelings between people in this movie and that those matter within the context of the story. They're not just pretended to not exist. And I, and I liked how they were handled. Uh, overall, I don't love that Wonder Woman is actually, well, I'll get, I'll get to her. I, I like the character. I like the way the character plays out the story as the leader of the group. I think that she makes for a really strong leader uh, in this Justice Society of America, this Justice League light, in a sense, in the past. And so I think she does a fantastic job of handling that position. I really, really dig the story. So like you said, it's always cool to see people punch Nazis. The worry I had going into this was that's it's fun for a minute, but like I didn't want to watch a whole hour and a half long movie just about the Nazis. Yeah. And what really made me happy was that this film doesn't do that. So its main story kind of hook is, yes, the Nazis are looking for this magical relic, but outside of a phenomenal kind of early scene in action and battle, you were talking about the No Man's Land sequence, the way in which the animation is done, specifically for the Flash when he's fighting Nazis and the way it's some slow-mo is handled, it looks um, it just chef's kiss. It looks awesome. But, you know, it quickly kind of transitions away from the Nazis. And so it's got this pulpy, like Indiana Jones adventure feel to it. In fact, there are a couple of scenes that directly call back to Raiders of the Lost Ark. Then it's got some of these emotional moments that honestly, you know, make you think of like World War II romantic films like a Casablanca um, about love and the time of war. And then we move on from the Nazis and we get to deal with some underwater adventure stuff and we get to deal with a monster movie. So it's, it's a lot of things all in one. And it really works. I think the way that it transitions from each of these kind of types of film into the next feels natural. Uh, it highlights the importance of superhero teamwork throughout the story. It's not just a bunch of people thrown together for the heck of it. Our man was weird to me. I, I don't. I still don't quite understand him and his powers. I, he's. I didn't either. He's just there. I think that you know. Um. So maybe that should be one of my dislikes in a way, but it wasn't a big drawback or, or you know didn't hurt my enjoyment of the film in any way. But I liked the other ones. I liked that the two flashes is a is a fun dynamic. They end up giving the future Flash a nickname uh, that is really fun to listen to them call him this nickname throughout so that they can distinguish between which Flash is which. And then there are some really cool superhero, I don't want to call them cameos, but surprises, honestly, about different characters that show up and what their role in this story is uh, as far as who's the villain, uh, what the ultimate you know, winning, what the relic is that is being sought, and how that plays out into the finale of the story itself. So, I, I mean, I loved it. I think that the action was awesome. Um, I think it's exquisitely animated and, and really, really well done in this, like, it just looks very cinematic uh, in nature. And I think the animation itself is, for the most part, really, really awesome as well. So, I, I mean, I really, really liked it. 
my negatives, I'll just transition into them. So I mentioned one of them, not really knowing who our man was. I didn't feel like he was made enough of the story to teach me much about who he is. I think I feel like if you're going to put this guy in there that I don't want to say no one knows who he is, but no casual comic book fan is going to know who our man is. So if you're going to make him a part of the team, then you should probably spend a little extra time giving him enough of a, a role in the story to get a, let us get to know him. I would have enjoyed that, but I didn't really feel that that happened as much. Uh, and then for me, I, I didn't dislike the performance of Wonder Woman. I think the performance was fine. I didn't like the choice, though, to essentially copy. She feels so much like Gal Gadot's character. And part of me wants to say, okay, that makes sense, right? Because in a way, honest to God, this is like the much better Wonder Woman 2. This is way better than Wonder Woman 1984, in my opinion. And so I guess I can understand that. They Even to the point where Zimmer's and Junkie XL's themes from the DC live action universe with Wonder Woman, the way that those, those music score tracks work, those are, in, it's essentially like really calling to that musical style. If you listen to this, it's got that, those bassy drums that are pounding when action's going on and it's just real frenetic. So they really are trying to copy that feel. So I, I just, it wasn't great for me. Didn't ruin anything by, by any means. The one thing that did bother me is her design. So I love the animation in this movie. And I think all the characters look great. The backgrounds look like paintings. Diana looks like a cone head. And I don't know why they chose to make her look this way because she looks blocky. She, <laughs> I, I don't get it. Like she looks different than everybody else. There's no other way to put it. And you can see it if you look on the poster, honestly, or if you're, you know, clicking on a link to this podcast from one of our social media feeds, it's in the graphic right there with the link. You can see it. And, and I don't know why they chose to make her face look unrealistically proportioned in a way that the rest of the characters don't look. And it, and it distracted me because she's in almost all the scenes because it's her movie. Like she's the star essentially. So that was kind of like a bummer for me, but all in all, there's very little I didn't like. I, I thought it was wonderful. What about you? The team, as far as having black canary, you have Iron Man, you have Hawkman, and then you have this alternate flash. Um, I did feel that, yes, there wasn't a sense of them just being a random team of like a random shuffle that you pull out of a hat. And it's like, let's just put these heroes together and see what happens. I didn't get that vibe. But for me, I found myself just not really caring for our man or Hawkman. Like, I know they tried to give Hawkman a dramatic angle, you know, with him wanting to be with his long lost love and everything. And that was sweet and tender. But for me, being a... A kind of a novice DC guy, I was kind of wondering why they were there. Like, I knew about Black Canary because I had seen Birds of Prey a year ago, so I knew about her, and of course, I, you know about The Flash, but I'm guessing for me, maybe I might need to do some more um digging into these comic books to get more in tune with these heroes, because in the early part of the film, I was running like, okay, like, who are these guys, and what do they do? What is their backstory? What are their fullest of their powers? Like, I was kind of in the unknown for a little bit of what can they add to this society and 
maybe that's an issue just for me and not a greater issue that's going to affect anybody who watches this film but just a little minor nitpick on my end um i couldn't really find anything else to speak about that is a negative for me um i do see your gripes with wonder woman i I didn't see them, but I could understand why you would feel that way, especially with the whole Gal Gadot, you know, almost sounding like at certain moments. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad that it's not just me. I mean, and, and again, I don't think it's it's more of like a, a something to call out versus a like or a dislike. It's just a it's just a choice. <laughs> it doesn't harm the film. It doesn't. I don't think make it better. It's just it's a choice, and people are gonna notice it. So. We'll see what, what the consensus is once everybody gets a chance to watch the movie. I also wanted to briefly go over the special features real quick because I did have a chance to review the Blu-ray release copy of this. So each of these discs, a lot of times they'll come with a DC showcase short film. This one is called Kamandi, The Last Boy on Earth. And it, these are meant to shine a light on lesser known properties. I always like these. Because I feel like I'm being introduced to an entirely new comic book character. I mean, it's kind of like meeting an hour man, but getting a you know, 15 minute period of time just strictly about that character and getting to know them better. So the plot of this is Kamandi, the last boy on Earth, and his friends Prince Tufton of the Tiger Kingdom and humanoid mutant Ben Boxer are kidnapped by a gorilla cult dedicated to finding the reincarnation of their god, the Mighty One. Golgan, the cult's leader, puts Kamandi's team through a series of deadly tests to find if any of them know the secret of the Mighty One. So it's pretty short, obviously, because it's a short film. It's got talking anthropomorphic animals that are heroes like this Prince Tufton, who is an actual tiger. I love that. That's a plus for me. It's got major Planet of the Apes and the Land That Time Forgot vibes to it it's this dilapidated future wasteland of earth where you know the world has been decimated and the statue of liberty is all broken down literally just like play the, the apes and there are a gorilla cult so you know it's easy to make that comparison and understandably because of when this comic came out it has a very 70s comic book vibe to it and the animation looks almost like a saturday morning cartoon from that era and i actually really dug it I like the way it looked a lot. It's not modern, but it's crisper and cleaner than it would have been in the past, even though it's kind of in that same style. And then the storytelling was fun. There's a super cool twist at the end. Uh, I don't want to even spoil it because I think it's worth watching and finding out for yourself kind of what this mighty one is all about and how Kamandi is going to play into this story and just him and his team getting to see them briefly interact with each other and go through this series of tests was a lot of fun. It actually reminded me of Indiana Jones as well, only it was Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade when they're trying to get to uh, the cup uh, and find a, and the Holy Grail and having to go through a series of tests to challenge themselves to do that and see if they're worthy. It's a lot like that. So I liked it quite a bit. Um, there is a making of featurette, which is really the highlight, I think, of the special features. It's the equivalent of a commentary track. It's called Adventures in Storytelling, and it's a roundtable of the writers, the director, uh, some of the artists just talking about the film's creation, development, how long this has been you know, in the pipeline, what they want to do with sequels, and what the direction they were going with this new story was. 
And I learned a lot from that. And I thought that it was really insightful and, and a joy to listen to, honestly. And I, I just, it always heightens my appreciation of a film when I hear the people who made it talking about how passionate they are about this thing that they made. It just, it helps me remember it's more than just the way that I am entertained by it. You know what I mean? Like it's somebody's best film ever, essentially. And I really liked that. It also has a sneak peek of the next movie, which I'm super hyped for, Batman The Long Halloween Part 1. I did not watch it because I want to go in fresh. I mean, I've read the comics, but I still want to see it with clean eyes. They have a preview of Justice League versus Teen Titans and a preview of the next Wonder Woman film, I think, Wonder Woman Bloodlines. That might, that, one already, that may already be out. I can't remember, but th- that's the other preview. And then there's two bonus cartoons uh, coming from the DC Vault. It's uh, Justice League Legends is the name of the episodes, part one and two. And this was really cool. I actually watched these cartoons. <laughs> um, it's two episodes, you know, 20-ish minutes each. And it's this cool alternate universe story about the Justice League having to interact with this weird world of other versions of themselves that came from a comic book. And it's it's really funky. Um, it has a Jon Stewart Green Lantern which I really enjoyed his performance in this. And it just, it was a lot of, it was cool, you know, to see this old Justice League cartoon. Like I would have never, ever gotten to see this random story before uh, had I not watched it on this disc. So I'm a big fan of the special features on this one. With regards to the movie, it is going to be streaming on VOD now. So you can actually go and pay to, I believe, buy it. I don't think it's rentable. Uh, but you could purchase it right now on Video On Demand, and then it will be on 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray Combo Pack and Blu-ray on May the 11th. What do you think, Coles? Do you think it's worth getting now on VOD? Do you think it's worth picking up on Blu-ray, or should people just wait until it's available to rent? If you are a big supporter of DC Animation, I don't see a reason why you just don't go ahead and buy this on VOD or... When it comes out on Blu-ray, pick up the Blu-ray. I'm super feeling this film, even though I don't think it's like a Flashpoint Paradox type of great. I think that it is a very good animated film for anybody who loves action and for anybody who loves DC superheroes fighting. Yeah, me too. I'm a big fan of this one, as I mentioned, up there with my favorite animated films of the year so far, vying for that spot. And so I highly think it's worth uh, a buy for anybody who's a fan of this DC animated film universe. Uh, otherwise, yeah, I mean, I'd probably say wait and rent it if you're not typically someone who enjoys these films. All right. Our other movie that we are going to talk about is called Cliff Walkers. Cliff Walkers stars Zhang Yi, Yu Highway, Keen Hailu, and Zhu Yawen. It is directed by Zhang Yimou, and it is written by Quan Yongjin. Now, what is this one about? It is set in the puppet state of Manchukuo in the 1930s. The film follows four Communist Party special agents who return to China after receiving training in the Soviet Union. Together, they embark on a secret mission codenamed Utrinya. After being sold out by a traitor... The team finds themselves surrounded by threats on all sides from the moment that they parachute into the mission. 
Will the agents break the impasse and complete their mission? On the snowy grounds of Munchuko, the team will t be tested to their limit. Now, if you're familiar with the name Zhang Yimou, this is the famous Chinese director uh, responsible for films such as House of the Flying Daggers, Shadow, the American film with Matt Damon and Willem Dafoe called The Great Wall, uh, among others. I am a, oh, uh, and Hero. I guess I should not leave out Hero because that's probably what most people know him for. I'm a big fan. I'm, I love his specific visual style and the way that he's told his stories. This is definitely him stepping outside the box. There are no swords and martial arts uh, employed in this one in the way that they typically are in his other films. So, Kales, how did this one land for you? What did you like about it? I love the approach it takes to spy thrillers. Usually, we'll get spy movies that are mostly centered on the stylish manner of being a spy, how cool it is to be a secret agent, you know, practicing deception, you know, being able to undergo a lot of disguises, like portraying, you know, people and deception and just all of these things that would make it cool to be in a world of espionage. But this film is a more serious and serious is more akin to it being a historical true story because this is set in the 1930s and it deals with the Japanese occupation of China and how these four spies are trying to get it out to the world what the Japanese are doing to the Chinese. I mean, early on, we get a really brutal scene of how we're seeing where the Japanese are having these killing grounds, where they're killing anybody who is a traitor to their diplomacy or anybody who goes against what they believe in. Pretty much it's just like them being colonizers and them killing anybody who goes against their power. And so we get these spies who are trying to be heroes and just get a person out who escaped from the prison in order to tell the world about what's going on. So this is a more grounded and a more suspenseful spy thriller than you usually see. I mean, you kind of get the feeling of paranoia. There's a constant sense of paranoia because you don't know who who is the traitor. Are these spies going to figure out who the traitor is? Are these spies going to be able to live to see another day? Because they're constantly in danger. They're constantly having to hide and just like hide, hide guns, hide, be able to have a secret code to be able to communicate with one another. They have to split up and go amongst in the land and hope that they can see the people that they're working with again. And then you get a couple of these spies that have personal dramatic backstories where one of the spies, these it's this man and this woman, they had children before the Japanese came and occupied China. And they had went to the Soviet Union to train. And while they were training, their, their children ended up being left like without a guardian because their guardians were killed. And so now with them doing this mission, they also are trying to figure out where their children are and find them. So I like that little bit of dramatic wrinkle and I also love the action. Like the action is intense. It's visceral. Like the action just comes out of nowhere. Like one minute somebody's walking down the street, then the next you see somebody chasing them and then a gunfight ensues. And, you know, the violence, like I said before, is brutal. It's bloody. It's not trying to be glorified. It's not trying to be like cool to watch. Like, there were moments in this film where I kind of just turned away from it because I'm just seeing these people being tortured and seeing people just die like it's nothing. It's just very hard to watch, but it lets you know that, hey, this is, this is what people had to go through 
this is what people had to sacrifice in order to be heroes. Like these people knew that what they were doing when they were risking their life to try to save their country, to try to save China from just being another, another oppressive state. And for me, I found it to be a very intriguing and fascinating film. And I'm a history buff, so I love the history lesson that it gave me. And it made me want to go and, you know, maybe read up more about this time period in China. Because oftentimes we know a lot. We get a lot of films that deal with American history and, you know, the spy movies that deal with that. But we don't often get foreign films that deal with historical periods like this one. And I think this will be. If people will willing to get over that one inch barrier of reading subtitles, then yes, this is definitely a movie that I would recommend for them to watch. Yeah, no, no kidding. The subtitles, obviously, you know, whatever here, here or there, people need to get over that. I agree. So I liked the visuals. I think that is generally something you will go without saying when you're watching a Yamu film. The landscape shots in particular, when there is falling snow and he pans across a village or when characters aren't moving and the snow isn't very heavy, uh, it's just softly falling kind of in the in the frame. I think it looks phenomenal. It, it's constant snow. Like, this is a snowy world that they're in, a snowy land, and it, it is snow on the ground, snow in the air at all times throughout the whole movie. There are some really, really well done, beautiful overhead shots uh, tracking different characters like as they're moving through a, a scene or through a town or through a corridor of some kind. And those are really well done. I put down there, there's some genuinely cool kills. So, yeah, speaking to your brutality, there is an unexpected brutality to the kills. I was not ready and prepared for what I was going to see. I don't know why, but I just, I assumed like there were no swords to, you know, bluntly cut off limbs. And with guns, I just didn't expect to see things in the way that I did. It can be pretty visceral. It's not gory in a way that a horror movie might be, but it pulls no punches about the nature of a body and how it can be brutalized by force in different ways throughout this film. And a lot of the choreography, I think, is pretty sick. Uh, he's able to utilize gunfights and make them almost feel like martial art samurai battles at times, the way he shoots them. And I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, I wasn't expecting that. I wondered if he was going to be able to pull that off. And I thought he did. I agree with you. There is some really tense spy stuff going on. Some moments where, you know, I was darn near holding my breath, wondering if characters were going to get out of a situation. Um, I liked seeing some of the old school spy techniques, like having to memorize a complex coded message and then burn a piece of paper that that message was on immediately so as to not have it intercepted. And the importance on, you know, having a photographic memory and being able to recall these things. It has some pretty darn strong emotional moments, like you mentioned, uh, the kids that play into the story and just the relationship between the spies and the mission that they're on and how they genuinely care about each other. They're not just 
four people who are individuals put together trying to accomplish a thing who, you know, couldn't care less about their teammates. They genuinely want to see all of them get out of this alive as well as be successful. And so there's some hard moments they have to go through. And then like all Yamu films, it has an absolutely gorgeous musical score just to die for music in the background. I think it's a lot of time it's classical and orchestral and it's just very sweeping and tender. And it just, it, I think that the scores in his films really go well with his visual style. And this is no different. What did you not like about this one? To be honest, there's not one thing I could point out that I didn't like. I think for me that I'm more interested in giving this another rewatch so I can catch up on a lot more of the details that I miss. Because for me, sometimes watching a film as engrossing as this, you get caught up, you know, especially if you're doing a podcast, you get caught up in trying to just get down some notes about what's really going on and some of the elements, the cinematography, you know, some of the visual style, you know, the direction, the action. And so you kind of missed out on a few of the, of the little innermost things that are going on with the story. So I'm more interested in just getting a rewatch with this and coming at, and coming out of that and seeing where I feel with this film, because I really like this film and I could see this actually growing on me because as you know, me, I love spy movies. <laughs> I would actually love for us to probably do a full episode on this film. <laughs> well, I wouldn't be necessarily against that at some point when it's maybe more available for people. It is. I, I don't know how many people are going to go see it right away. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I do have some. I'm going to need to watch it again, too, at some point. And I think that a theater viewing would benefit the film because, A, it's beautiful. And so the visual style is great to see on a bigger screen. But for me, there was a real struggle, especially in the first, I'd say, third of the film, with understanding who was who and what was going on. The costuming is super similar. The trench coats, the color of them, the hats that they're wearing. It's very difficult to differentiate who are your spies, who are your government agents and who are your police and there's all these different kind of factions going on and they're all Chinese so it's not like the Russians looking different than the Chinese and so the Russians are one group and the Chinese are the other it's you know intermixed and so you can't quickly and easily tell people apart and I just I had an issue trying to figure out what was going on specifically there's an early section of the film that takes place on a train and it's really well shot and it's really tense but i didn't get it like i was trying to figure out all the time like okay who's really with who and who's trying to double cross the other person you know and so that was a that was a bit of a a pain point for me the other thing kind of is a negative about the visual style while i called out the moments that the snow can really look good in those landscape shots and when the characters aren't moving, there are a few times that there are heavy action scenes and the snow is just still going full on and it's really heavy and it almost blurs out the action at times because it's just so much snow. And I think the camera has a hard time like tracking what's going on in the background with the action because it's got a billion little snowflakes to try and tone in on at the same time. And so that was a, a kind of a, a distraction for me at times. 
And then the pacing. I, there are some super slow sections of this in between its scenes of tension. There's not a lot of different locales to it, so it's all very a dull color palette, which is the opposite of what most Yamu films are known for. Usually they're vibrant, colorful. This is all dark gray, black, night, except for the snow. Buildings look the same. Inside of buildings looks the same for the most part. And so it, when it's a little bit dialogue heavy and there's not a lot of action going on and nothing looks different visually outside of these buildings, it kind of was allowing my attention to wane a bit. And so that was a little bit of a drawback for me. But nothing that would make me want to say this is not worth watchable by any means. It's an enjoyable film. Uh, it's just on the lower end of my personal ranking when it comes to the director. Yeah, I think that's where it factors in for the rewatch part, because in the beginning, I kind of got your point about kind of knowing who was who, you know, because there are definitely points where there's a there's a person that comes up and it's like, oh, they're part of this side. I was like, wait a minute. I thought that you were on the good side, but it turns out that you're working for the bad side. And then you see these characters, and I guess that adds to more of the um, the espionage part, you know, the deception part where people are just playing these characters and they're playing this side and trying to get an advantage for this side. I mean, it, it it's a there's a lot of like interplay going on between these characters and the setting, you know, the harsh setting kind of adds in, into that more because, you know, the snow is falling, you know, it's very cold and people are dressed almost in the same way. So it's very hard to figure out, okay, is this actor working for China or are they working for Japan? Yeah. So I definitely get your points about that, which makes the second viewing probably more important for this film. <laughs> agree. Agree. And I think, or a first viewing for folks who go see it. So we, it sounds like we both would recommend this. Uh, it is going to be in theaters worldwide on April the 30th. So that's the only way you can go see it. And so we probably, I, if you're with me, I'm saying go see it. Uh, I think it's worth seeing in theater. I think you'll have a better experience even than we did trying to watch it at home because mm -hmm. the darkness isn't going to be as much of an issue when you're in a big screen like you will be in that environment. And I think you're going to be so locked in to the film that you're not distracted by a telephone or a cat running across the room or anything else that could possibly distract you. No matter how hard you try to pay attention in your house, something is going to get your attention for a couple seconds. And when you're watching a movie like this, a couple of seconds means you're not reading the dialogue. And so you're going to miss something. And so it's critical to be able to put yourself in the right space to be able to give these films the best possible attention. So I definitely think it's going to be a great theatrical experience for those that want to go check it out. Well, that's it for us this time on FF+. Plus. We hope that you have found a film that piqued your interest this week, and we want to hear what you think when you get to see the films that we've discussed, whether it's Justice Society, World War II, Cliff Walkers, or Without Remorse. You can hit us up on Twitter at FeelinFilm, or just come join the FeelinFilm Facebook discussion group. There's always a link to that in the show notes. We would love to have you come be a part of the family there. We will be back next week. And until then, keep feeling film. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. 
you can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places, and I'd love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter, but be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.